0: the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, beginning at Luke 24, verse 44. And Jesus said to them, "'These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled.' Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, "'Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and who are continually in the temple, blessing God, the gospel of the Lord.
1: I wonder if you could just uh, think for a moment and uh, think about one of the most embarrassing things you have done recently. I'm not going to ask you to share it with the person sitting next to you, you'll be glad to hear, but just take a moment to recall what it felt like to be embarrassed. And I don't know what you did, perhaps your body felt it in some ways, maybe you tensed up, Maybe you blushed, maybe you cried, maybe you lied, maybe you blamed the dog. I don't know what you did when you were last embarrassed. Today is the Sunday in between Ascension Day and Pentecost. And one of the fun things that I discovered as I was reading uh, around the whole idea of Ascension Day was how many people are kind of embarrassed about the Ascension There were theologians and commentators, and quite often the word embarrassing cropped up. And I kind of understand it, because these are some of the artworks which you might see associated with the ascension. And they go from kind of beautiful, but distinctly weird on the left, through to kind of just weird on the right. I mean, those feet vanishing up, perhaps through some sort of ceiling rose. I don't know. I don't know where it was on a, a... which chapel that was from, or just feet kind of elevating up through the clouds. There is something slightly odd about Ascension Day. But what I want us to think about tonight is really the fact that if you're going to find the Ascension weird, you're probably going to find most of Christianity weird. Because honestly, the story of God becoming incarnate, becoming a baby, God living amongst us as Jesus, The whole story of the resurrection, the the crucifixion, the resurrection, if you're going to think weird, it really is, does seem like a very unusual story. And so Jesus is elevated. He goes up into the heavens. But you can either think of it as embarrassing, or you can think of it as actually almost the most critical moment, or at least one of the most critical moments of the New Testament. It's interesting. It's the place where Luke finishes his gospel, the gospel of the stories of Jesus Christ, the accounts of Jesus, and moves on to writing his book of Acts. So Luke talks about the ascension both at the end of his gospel and then at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. It's a pivot. It's a really important moment. And as I was thinking about the ascension... I kept on, you know, as you do when you're preparing a sermon going on Facebook and noticing endless pictures of people graduating from all sorts of things, graduating from pre-K through to grad school. And I thought, well, in some ways, Ascension is a little bit like a graduation moment. The disciples have studied hard with Jesus over the last three years. They've learned from him. They've imitated him. They've been taught how to go out and come back. They've been taught so much but now this moment has come, this moment of graduation, where everything is going to be so different for, for them, and where they're going to be actually called to put into practice all the things that they have learned. So there's the kind of going to school, there's the graduation, and then there's the life afterwards. If you do have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pews. They're not the same version as I'm using, but if you want to che- move to act, get out Acts chapter one, feel free. We'll pull it up on your phone if you're not going to go on Facebook. I mean, if you are, that's, I guess that's your choice. But um, I'm also going to have the words on the screen here. Luke summarizes a little bit at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1. He reminds the, his readers that the disciples had been chosen by Jesus in verse 2. He then goes on to talk about the way that Jesus taught them. And this comes up in actually the first five verses as Jesus teaches them about the kingdom of God and all the ways that they followed him over these last few years. Post-resurrection, you've got Jesus appearing to his disciples with many proofs, appearing to many people. Then into verses 4 and 6, you've got this promise that they're going to be sent out with the Holy Spirit. They're not going out alone. They're not going to have to do this. There's going to be a significant gift which is going to enable them to move forward. And then in verse eight, he gives them responsibility. He tells them that they are the witnesses and witnesses have a job to do in terms of communicating truth. So at this point, the disciples knew what to do, they knew how to do it, they knew why to do it, they knew when to do it, and they knew where to go they thoroughly equipped. And so Jesus leaves. It's time for him to go. There's the moment where he ascends into the heavens. And this is the moment where their teacher is no longer going to tangibly be with them. He will be in heaven, reigning on high. But he's leaving a connection point, a kind of 24-7 access to God through the connectivity of the Holy Spirit. This teacher is always going to be available to his students. And as they head into their task to tell the whole world, he is going to remain contactable and accessible. Logically, Jesus had to go away. And actually, logically, he probably had to ascend. He had to go out of their reach. He had to go up. And upwards is always the way that people have tended to look towards the divine. Think of all the Psalms which talk about going to the mountains. Think of the way that God acts through the Old Testament on mountains. There are moments when we look upwards when we want to encounter Jesus. And so then, as Luke says, I hope, and then he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven, And look at the response of the disciples. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The disciples were not remotely embarrassed. They weren't blushing in a corner. They weren't crying or lying or feeling shy. They were delighted. They were ecstatic. They jumped their way back to Jerusalem with huge joy, great joy. Sometimes it's hard to even wonder how this is possible. But one of the interesting people to look at in all of this is Peter. And next week, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost. But I'm going to give us a little foretaste here as we stand between Ascension and Pentecost. Because in chapter 2 of Acts, what we see is Peter, this transformed fisherman. And remember where we have seen Peter the last two weeks. We've seen him on a boat trying to get away from it all. We've seen him by a charcoal fire, being confronted by Jesus. We've seen him kind of looking into his brokenness. But by chapter two, Peter has come with huge, great joy, and he is preaching his socks off. He preached a sermon which was quite extraordinary. He preached at based around this premise of ascension. He starts out, and if you've got your Bibles, feel free to flick into chapter 2. He starts out by talking about the patriarch David and how patriarch David just dies. He doesn't ascend, he just dies. But Jesus was different. Jesus ascended. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 33... He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter has completely understood that Jesus is Lord and Christ and that it's because of his ascension that we can all experience the gift of the Holy Spirit and through the gift of the Holy Spirit have access into this completely different dimension where Jesus is reigning and so he continues, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins, because you're going to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And that's the promise which comes for each one of us in this room today. That's the promise which says you can identify with the disciples. You too can be taught commissioned, equipped, and sent, just as the disciples were. And so this task, then, is for us the same as it was for the disciples. It is to joyfully invite people into the kingdom of heaven. This past Tuesday, Simon and I had the opportunity to go to um, the Trinity Forum to hear David Brooks talk about his new book. And I was fascinated as he was talking about his unpacking of his journey over the last few years. And there was a particular moment which he talked about, and which is in his book, which was very important to him. And it was a moment when he was getting off the subway in Penn Station, probably not a a place where a lot of people have kind of epiphany moments, but this was definitely a striking moment for him. And what he says is this, Uh, He was just talking about, i was surrounded, as always, by thousands of people, silent, sullen, trudging to work in long lines. Normally, in these circumstances, you feel like just another ant leading a meaningless life in a meaningless universe. Normally, the routineness of life dulls your capacity for wonder. But this time, everything flipped and I saw souls in all of them. It was like suddenly everything was illuminated, and I became aware of an infinite depth in each of these thousands of people. They were living souls. Suddenly it seemed like the most vivid part of reality was this, souls waking up in the morning, souls riding the train to work, souls yearning for goodness, souls wounded by earlier traumas, souls in each and every person, illuminating them from the inside, haunting them and occasionally enraptured within them souls alive or numb in them. And he goes on to say, and if there were souls, it's a short leap to the belief that there is something that breathes souls into us through an act of care and love. I remember that as quite a wonderful thought. If we can see the people around us as souls, I think that is where we begin to get this sense of our encounter with the infinite. It gets our encounter with how heaven is breaking into earth right now. How we understand souls. And another place he describes how our souls are daily either growing bigger or disintegrating. I think that's a very visual image as well. And it's important for us to have that kind of connection to what's going on beyond what is visible, beyond what we can see and touch and hear, because earth, this place where we all are now, is where each one of us can encounter a foretaste of heaven and of hell. And I'm not really going to talk about hell tonight. I think I'll save that up for another day. But hell essentially is where, Jesus, where God is absent, where he's excluded, where he's cast out. It's a place of destruction and death. And all of us see glimpses of hell on earth from time to time from time to time, places or situations where God has been rejected. We see hell breaking forth in little ways when we see mass shootings, or egregious unkindness. We see it in choices which diminish others, which make ourselves or others less. But on the other hand, God is not absent from being available to us in those moments. I love the story from Betsy and Corrie Ten Boom as you may or may not know they were incarcerated in Ravensbrück in the Second World War and Betsy actually died in Ravensbrück from ill health on December the 16th 1944 but before she died she told Corrie there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still so despite the horrors that they encountered and the ways that they came so close to the stench of hell, Betsy knew the loving presence of God in a way which was sustaining and which carried her through as she died. So there is an ultimate understanding and a reality of heaven and hell. But meanwhile, it is our responsibility of citizens of heaven to be responsible for seeing the extension of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven on earth now. The kingdom of heaven where we make choices to participate in the divine life until Jesus returns again and fully claims this earth as his own. As he promised, in my father's house are many rooms, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There is a promise of fullness and a stepping into the completeness of heaven, even now as we see a foretaste. And we see foretastes all over the place. We see it as answers to prayer. We see it when we get to sit in God's presence and worship, when we sing glorious moment, where we see God reflected in beauty and nature's splendor, in the glory of people making choices to know and love him. We see him not enough sometimes but in the glimpses of miracles around us when new things are launched we see a glimpse of heaven when we can express confidence in knowing that he died and rose for us knowing ourselves forgiven and it means that we can see him even in our deepest traumas where we can know that he is deeper still Week by week, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And each one of us wants to see more of God's kingdom on earth now. Last night, and actually sort of during this week, Muslims around the world entered into a night they called, and I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, but Layla al-Qatar, or something very close to that, a night of power when they drew ask for dreams and visions of God. It's a night which they ask for God to reveal himself to them. It's a wonderful concept, and Muslims have a deep realization that there is a spiritual world. And as a group from our community prayer walked yesterday, we were thinking and praying for all our friends and neighbors. How can we all have that understanding as we go to bed perhaps? that we ask for dreams and visions, that we ask for dreams and visions for those that we encounter at work and in our neighborhoods, that we ask for dreams and visions and then make ourselves accessible to people who have dreams and visions and who want to know more about them. <coughs> May we be people who can invite people into understanding that Jesus is reaching out for them because we have access to the power of heaven We have access to a God who loves us. The moment of the ascension was not an embarrassment to the disciples. It was a moment when they suddenly realized that their lives were deeper and richer and had more potential than they had ever imagined up until that point. And so that's when they go back to Jerusalem, leaping and dancing and praising God, blessing him and experiencing great joy. Possible that all of us might have friends, neighbors who scoff at the idea of the supernatural, who are skeptical about the fact that there is more, skeptical about who God is, who might ridicule our confidence in heaven, who might not believe that the subversion of power in this world can ever happen. But what an amazingly joyful task we have. We get to experience and introduce people with great joy to a God who loves them and seeks them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day we stand between heaven and hell. Which way will we turn as we make decisions this week? Think about your soul. Think about the souls of those around you. Will they enlarge or disintegrate in the days ahead? Next week... We will pray as, particularly if, as we think about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And our kids are going to be very involved. Come back next week. It's going to be different. Uh, wear red if you can. It's a lovely Pentecost color. Come with expectant hearts. Maybe every day of this week, why not pray with deliberation? Why not pray, Heavenly Father, as we're heading towards Pentecost, could we experience more? of the breaking in of heaven into our lives, into our community, and into our neighborhoods. Let's commit to praying that week by week, day by day, all this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that it's not just the promise of the Holy Spirit, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the witness of these disciples who went with great joy and a message of enormous hope. Help us to be mindful of the ways that we can engage in seeing more and more of the kingdom of heaven breaking out in this world. May we push back on the darkness as we invite you to accompany us into all the places where we go. Give us words this week, Lord, for our friends around us who perhaps might have a dream or a vision. May they encounter you through our community. Amen.